We thank you for your goodness in our life, and we thank you, Lord, that although the weather is cold outside, it's warm in here, and the hearts of people are warm, and you're warm towards us. And we just thank you tonight, Father. You've been faithful to us, and your faithfulness is, first of all, you gave your Son in our place before any of us ever chose to receive him. You've been faithful because you gave us your word, and you're faithful to this word. You're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. Have you not said it, and shall you not bring it to pass? It is never your failure, Father. Your word is the truth, and you always honor your word, and you always stand behind your word. And so we thank you that we can come to this sure word, a more sure word of prophecy, And this word has been given to us to change our lives, to direct our lives, to reveal who you are. We thank you that you've given us your precious Holy Spirit, who is the author of this word, and he lives in us. And Father, we're trusting the precious Holy Spirit to do what your word says, because he said, you said, eyes are not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for us. But the Spirit has been given to us to reveal those things to us, and He searches even the depths of your heart to dig out and pull out those secrets that you have for us. And Lord, we call upon the Holy Spirit to do that for us tonight. Father, your Word is practical and is real, and it meets us where we live, and we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we've been learning for a number of months now. A good part of last year, I've been taking you through a course that I used to teach for years in the School of Ministry here, and it's a 10-week course, but uh, in this format, it gives us a chance to spread it out a little bit on renewing the mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we are transformed. The way God has ordained for us to be transformed is by the renewing of our mind. We've looked at that word transformed, which means to take God, what God has put in us, the nature of God. When you come to Christ, God puts His nature in you. You become a child of God. You are born again with the nature of God in you. And and the blessings of God, the peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit, all those things we went through early on in this material. And, and those are in us and now, and then we looked at, well, how many of those are we actually enjoying and experience in our life? I mean, do you ever worry? Do you ever get afraid? Do you ever have a day where there's no peace? Do you ever have trouble sleeping at night? Well, then the fullness of what God's put in you is not fully manifested in our life. And then we saw that the way God has ordained for those things that are on the inside to come to the outside so that we can enjoy them and other people can receive the benefit of them is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's learning to think differently along the lines that God thinks. And we're not going to go back over all that. We learned how the mind works. It works in terms of thoughts. And so the process of renewing our mind is literally purposefully and intentionally putting in God's thoughts into our mind to create new images which will create new strongholds which will then begin to govern us the way the negative strongholds have been governing us up until this time. So we've gone through that, we've looked at certain principles to help us do that, and then we've been looking at certain tools that the Bible gives us. The first one is meditation. We spent a whole night on meditation, and last time we spent on the second major one, which is confession, and we saw that there are two types of confession. There's a confession where you're confessing, you're confessing sin, you're confessing something to belong to you, and then there's a confession which is out of the fullness of your heart, but then there's a type of confession where you're using to change how you think by just speaking to yourself. That's what propaganda is. That's what, that's what my, uh, brainwashing is, and many of us need our brains washed, but washed with the Word of God. And so it's 
intentionally putting in your mind thoughts by just speaking them to you. And we found that when you do that, you don't have to believe them. You just keep telling yourself over and over and over again. And we ended up by saying that the most powerful voice you ever hear is your own. That your voice has greater credibility with you and greater power with you than any other voice. This is why you need to learn to talk to yourself. People may look at you. You don't have to do it out loud, but loud enough so you can hear it and talk to yourself. Sometimes I get up in the morning and, I, you know, and my wife's already gotten up. And I, well, who is in the living room with her? And then I was, oh, she's talking to herself. She's making confessions to herself, herself. And as you do that, you can change how you feel. And I've taken some psalms and just used them as a confession. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble be, uh, uh, be glad and be shame. What's the rest of it? <laughs> Once I get off track, I get off track. But I'll speak that to myself. Speak to them. If you don't know it, Psalm 23, just speak that to yourself. And what happens is the process of renewing your mind. Well, quickly, there's two more. I'm just going to touch on them because I want to get into because I want to be, begin to bring this to an end. I, I want to two other tools which I taught, which are not as powerful. Well, they're powerful. They're just not as common as that. One is fasting. We don't like to talk about that a lot. But what fasting does? Fasting doesn't move God. It doesn't change God's mind. But what fasting does is get your body under control. And as your body gets under control and your appetites get under control, you become more sensitive to the spirit of God on the inside of you in your in your own spirit. So that's another way I'm not going to dwell on that. And the last one is learning to monitor your thoughts. We talked about learning to read the, 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 the return address on the package, the thoughts that come to you to find out where they come from. Just keep practicing, monitor your thoughts. What have I been thinking? When you find yourself having an emotion, afraid or anxious or, or whatever, ask yourself, well, what was I thinking about before I began to feel that way? And inevitably, as you begin to train yourself to do that, you will be able to trace together those patterns of thoughts that begin to stir up that emotion in you. Because remember, emotions follow thoughts. So if you change your thoughts, you change your emotions. All right. What I want to get into tonight is, is maybe the most important part of all of this. Because we can learn all that, you can master all of that, you can, you can be meditating, you can be confessing, you can be renewing your mind. But what it is all about, because it goes back to that starting scripture, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Another word for transformed is changed. One of the purposes for this book is to change us. Paul says, I labored over you until Christ be formed in you. The Spirit of God, I discovered when I got saved, I had no idea what happened. I just knew that I was in trouble. I knew something was wrong. I knew I was empty inside. And when I cried out that night and Jesus came into me by the Holy Spirit, I just knew something changed in me. I didn't understand it. I had no teaching on it. I had no theology on it. I didn't have anybody, you know, nobody at the law firm I was working in was explaining to me what happened. I had no idea. I just knew I was in love with everything and everyone because the love of God had now taken root in me. And then I began to realize that God had come inside of me. And I thought that was neat. That was wonderful. And then I discovered, I began to get uncomfortable about certain things I used to do. Uh, I, I, I just was raised, I, I like to drink. I would have a cocktail when I come home. Sometimes I would have a second cocktail when I come home. And somewhere along the line after, I don't know how long, that began to trouble me. Nobody told me I should stop drinking. It began to trouble me. And I began to look at my children and look at me 
drinking in front of them, and somehow it began to bother me on the inside. See, that's the Spirit of God beginning. See, that doesn't mean, this is why we don't have a bunch of rules in church. The Bible says our conscience is the, is, is the law that's inside of us now. We don't have an exterior law that's written on stone. We have a, of a more personal law that is the conscience. That's what Romans talks about. It's the spirit of, uh, spirit of life, uh, uh, the, law of the, spirit of, the law of the spirit of life on the inside of us. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us, correcting us. And He'll do it in different ways with different ones of us. And so He began to work on me to just that was wrong. It was just, he, it was time to stop that. And so I remember taking my kids, this, we only had two at the time, over to the sink and pouring some of this very valuable single malt scotch down there, you know. And, and I wanted to show them that there was a change taking place in our household. Nobody told me I had to do that. And what I began to, I didn't know what was going on inside of me. Things I used to want to do, I didn't want to do anymore. And what is going on here? And I gradually began to realize it was like this. I had invited God into my life just to be in there. And I discovered he didn't want to just be in there. He wanted to start rebuilding it. So he started doing, uh, doing a repair job. There's a house around the corner from us. And I ran into the other day to somebody we, that, where we eat lunch often. He eats there also. And I saw him outside. His son owns the house. Well, they've gutted the whole place. They've been living there for years and decided to change it. I mean, it's, it, this, it's gutted. The outside's the same, and they're gutting it, and it's taken months and months and months. And I discovered that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to begin to knock some walls down that were barriers in our lives. We didn't talk to this kind of person. We didn't do this. And He wants to resand the floors. And it sometimes creates a mess when He it hurts sometimes. And then He wants to knock some walls out and expand the house and make it bigger, go up another story. He wants to literally form Christ in us. The technical word for that is change. <laughs> and we don't like change. And that God is trying to change us. So not only just with the things we've talked about, but the very essence of being a Christian is that we're in a process of being changed. So we're going to talk tonight, begin to talk tonight at least, about the attitude of change. Because you can do all these things. You can read Scripture. You can confess it. You can deposit, change the images that you have. But at some point, as this begins to change and this begins, image begins to change, you're going to begin to feel a desire or a pressing on the inside to do some things differently. And if you don't have an attitude of change, you'll resist it. And you're always going to be struggling because the Spirit of God on the inside is trying to bring change about in you. He's literally trying to change you into the image of Christ. So how oh, That's impossible. Not when the Spirit of God's working in you. Now, we'll never be perfect. We'll never be as perfect. But He's forming Christ in us. And that requires change. Change of attitudes. Change of some habits. Change of some practices. And change, see the things you're doing that you want to do, you want to keep on doing. So the change means I've got to either stop doing things I want to do or start doing things I don't want to do. So there's going to be some conflict here. And the conflict's going to be between your spirit man and your flesh. And Galatians 5 talks about that. Don't you understand that the spirit's at war with your flesh and the flesh is at war with your spirit so that you can't any longer do just what you want to do. So this is going on inside of you. But if you don't understand this attitude of change, you will resist it. So we're going to begin to talk about tonight this attitude of change. And, and, and 
first of all, I want to just explain to you what an attitude is. An attitude is a predetermined way your mind sees things. A predetermined way your mind sees things. Simple little example. I was in the... Um, I was visiting my mother, is in a nursing home, and I was visiting her on Monday, and they were, there was an aide that was feeding her. And um, when I walked in this little room, they said, oh, we were all watching you on television on Sunday. They put their big screen there, and they, they put the Catch the Truth program up there and say, you know, this is Martha's son. And this, well, the, why they're doing it, that's probably why. But the word's getting out in there. And so she looked at me, and she kind of did a double take. She says, oh, I wasn't expecting to see. And then she, oh, of course, you're her son. And then she says, well, I'm an aide here, and there are people that come in to visit their parents, and then they might see me in Shaw's or some market, and they kind of get startled because they're not expecting to see me. Why? Because they have a mindset of, you know, that she always wears a nursing uniform, and the fact that she has a life outside of that nursing home, or the fact that I don't wear a suit all the time, and, um, you know, I've got a life outside of here and outside of television. People have a preset way of seeing you, and I've had people walk past me and didn't realize who I was, even people from the church, or I may have walked past you and not realized who you were, because we have a preset idea. It's called prejudice. We have a preset attitude of who we're going to talk to, who we're open to, and I, we have to deal with that all the time, and if you're not aware of it, it will, res- it will cause issues in your life. There are certain people, I just, you know, uh, uh, maybe somebody on TV, somebody, a teacher on TV, and it was somebody today, I went home, and my wife had a Christian program on, and I'm watching this teacher, and I fish, immediately when to turn it off, I didn't like him. <laughs> and I couldn't tell you offhand why I didn't like him. But I didn't like him. I wanted to change the channel. But I've see. I've watched myself long enough to realize I was reacting. And I've trained myself. And all right, why are you react? Why do you want? Because if you just want to turn him off, there's got to be some reason why you don't want to listen to him. Because I've learned over the years, it's often the people I don't want to listen to that I learn the most from. It's often the people that I don't want to learn, listen to, that I have some reaction to, that I get the most out of. But I've got to make myself listen to somebody that I f- might have a first reaction. Now, I've got to look at what's, what was, the, and I found out what it was. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I found out what it was. And it was an attitude in me I needed to correct, because it was wrong. And it wasn't even about him, it was about me. And so attitudes are preconceived ways of thinking about something. A predetermined way your mind sees things. An attitude is like the condition of the soil. And you remember in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus teaches the parable of the sower. And at the end he says, if you can understand this parable, you can get everything else. In other words, Jesus was, was raising this parable, the parable of the sower, above every other parable, every other teaching he did, because he's saying, this parable is the key to understanding how to receive from me. And it was about the condition of the soil. And you know the story. He told about there was seed sown. Some of it was sown on the road. Some of it was sown next to the road. Some of it was sown on, on soil that had rocks. And, 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 and some was sown in soil that had, had uh, weeds in it. And some of it was sown on soil that had good conditioning, was aerated. And, and the, the seed that was sown on the, on the road didn't grow at all. The seed that was sown beside the road where the soil was thin 
It took root and grew up quickly, but when the sun came up, it burned up because there was no depth to the root. The, so- the seed that was sown in the rocky soil with, with, with uh, weeds in it, it grew and it produced some fruit, but the fruit was weak and defective and diseased because there were other things in the soil that were, were competing for it. And then the seed that was sown in the ground that was cultivated properly, it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. The only variable in that story, it's the same seed. The only variable is the condition of the soil. And that's the message that Jesus is teaching. And that, that soil represents our heart, the condition of our heart, the openness of our heart, which we'll be talking about in a minute. So the attitude with which you have towards something determines what God's able to show you and do in your life. Here's God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful. With Him, all, nothing is impossible except to get through to some of us because we may have blind spots. We may have prejudices that, 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 that say, you know, I can't hear from that kind of person. And it may be age, it may be color, it may be education. I mean, when I, and this is as far as I'll go with this, but, but when I was first saved, I mean, I was raised on the East Coast, lived most of my life in the Northeast, and I had a prejudice against southern accents, not against southern people, but against certain types of southern accents because to me they did not sound educated. And I was raised in a family that the the top value of that family, in our family we were taught, was education. The more educated you were and the better prestige school you were, the more valuable you were. It's wrong, it's terrible, but that's what was ingrained in me. And when I would hear certain, certain dialects that didn't sound what I thought educated was, in my mind immediately, I, oh, I shut down. I wasn't going to give a, have a lot of confidence in them. So I had to learn to overcome them when God sent me to Oklahoma to go to Bible school. <laughs> I didn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> and to sit under some of the teachers that I wouldn't listen to. <laughs> and I had to sit there at one point and realize I had an attitude sitting there until, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, John. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You resigned your law practice. You uprooted your family, moved them halfway across the country to sit here and be critical of the teachers. That's stupid. There's no other word for it. It is just stupid. He says, so you're going to sit here and miss what you gave all that up for unless you change your attitude. And I had to repent and change my attitude. Because my attitude, I could have done everything God told me to do, but I would miss what God had for me because I had an attitude that would block what God could do in our lives. So we've got to have an attitude that allows God to speak to us, that allows God permission to come in and change us. And, and, and that's sometimes we've got to work on it and be aware of an attitude. So that's what we're going to begin to talk about tonight. God wants to help you change. God, you need to get this, God, whatever it is you're trying to overcome, whether it's fear, whether it's a poor self-image, whether it's confidence, whatever it is, God wants to help you with all of His power and ability. God wants to help you to change and to bring that change about you. He's more for you than you are. God wants to help you to change. He's put His Spirit in you to enable you to change and given you the raw material with which to work that tells you how God sees things. He's done everything He can do to do that. 
So God wants to help you. He's inside of you wanting to help you. All right. He's given us His Word with all of its power. He's changed our nature. Jesus has defeated our enemy's authority and power and taken us, Colossians 1.13, he's, he's delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us over into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's given authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy, Luke 10.19, so that nothing shall in any way harm you. So he's done all he can do. Jesus has defeated the power of the enemy over you. He's put His Spirit in us to enable us and to help us. But we determine, listen carefully, we determine how much of that help can actually work in our lives. We determine how much God can help us. God has no limit on how much help He wants to give. We determine how much He's able to help us by the attitudes that we have. All right, so we're going to begin to talk about some of these attitudes. Hope I didn't disconnect this connection here. I did. Yeah, all right, here we go. All right. We're going to, this is the attitude of change, and we're going to go through several of these tonight. And the first one of these, it starts with the desire to change. The desire to change. In order to bring change about in your life, in order for God to be able to change you, you have to have a strong desire to change. We talked about back when we were going through uh, certain keys, certain keys to, to renewing your mind. And one of the ones we looked at is you, you have to make a, a, a decision that you're going to do this. You have to be committed to do it. And I talked to you for a few minutes about the difference between wishing something, wanting something, and willing something. You can look at a situation and just say, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be thin like that? Or wouldn't it be nice to have those muscles? Or wouldn't it be nice? That's wishing. And you can sit on front of your TV or watching the ads. That's what the, the ads are all about. They want you to wish something. And, and, and it's like, oh, boy, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to know the word like that. I'd, I'd like to have, be able to pray like so-and-so. I'd like to be able to do this. I'd love to, oh, that's fine. That's good. That's wishing something. But if you don't ever get beyond wishing, you'll end up frustrated. Because the more you wish for it, there's not wishing for it's not going to make it happen. It takes something more than wishing to make it happen. I remember years ago hearing on some teaching tape, uh, one of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL at the time, I don't remember who it was, they're retired now, and they were asking, you know, do you think there are other people out there better than you? And he said, oh yeah, I'm convinced that every Sunday there are men lying on their couch with a bag of potato chips and a beer, watching me do this, that were better, have the ability to be better at this than I am. The difference between them and me is, is they, just, they just look at it and wanted to. I, wanted to, I was willing to do it. And we'll look at some of why. So it takes a strong desire. Many 
I'll give you an example. One of the things when somebody comes to me and they're looking for counsel, and, and I, I, I'm, just because they tell me what they're looking for doesn't mean that's what they're looking for. Sometimes when people come to you, it may be marriage counseling, it may be some other situation, and I'm not thinking of anybody right now. But, and and what, they're, what, they're, what they want is, what, what they want is relief. They want the pressure off. Because one of the ways I find out what they want is I'll give them homework. Sometimes people just want to come in and blow off steam. Sometimes they just want you to feel sorry for them to justify what their, their position. So just because we think we want something doesn't mean that's what we really want. Sometimes people, people that, you know, well, I want to be healed. And yet if they're healed, that's gonna, they're going to lose some privileges that they have. They may lose some special attention that they have because of their affliction. And they may not understand what they're really looking for. But the way to find out what you really want is what you're doing. We'll get into that in a few minutes. All right. So, it takes, a, it takes a strong desire. We may really only want relief or comfort. Well, I had a couple that came to me. They're not here anymore. Um, they came to me for, for marriage counseling. Uh, and, and it became very clear to me after about five sessions that out of the three of us, I'm the only one that really wanted this to work. I was working much harder at their marriage than either of them were. And it became clear to me, they came to me because they wanted my endorsement for ending the marriage. And they were trying to prove to me why this was hopeless. It took me a couple times to figure out when I realized, wait a minute, the things I'm telling them to do, they're not doing. Or they're doing them half-heartedly. And so at that point I said, this is over. Your marriage isn't going to succeed because I want it. I can't make you do something. God can't make you do something you don't want to do. So I certainly can't make you do something you want to do. But they came for counseling. They wanted, they came for marriage counseling ostensibly to restore their marriage. But that's not what they were really looking for. So we got to look in our heart and say, what, am I, what do I really want? What do I really want here? And sometimes it takes God's the Holy Spirit to help us to see what is it I really want. What am I really looking for? Because, oh... You know where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, ask and you'll receive. Ask and you'll receive. He says ask and you'll receive. He doesn't say ask and then we'll consider it and then we might give it to you. He says ask and you receive. And I've shared this with you before. A couple of years ago, I was up in the middle of the night, and it was a difficult situation, and I was asking God for wisdom, and I was getting frustrated because I didn't seem to be getting the wisdom, and I just cried out to God, and sometimes you've got to cry out to God, and, and, and all of a sudden, he said, I wouldn't tell you to ask if I didn't plan to answer, and that startled me, so I went and started looking at the word ask, because the word ask in English can mean anything from just, you know, please pass the salt, to, I really need something, I'm desperate. The word ask in Greek is a heartfelt cry out of a desperate need. It's not just a casual, I'd like something. It is a heart, it comes out of the heart. It's a heartfelt cry for something, like a child would cry out if it was in pain or needing something. And so I think many of the times when we think we've asked for something, 
We haven't really asked because what we've done is we've, we've, we've hedged the bet. Because you see, if I really ask and God doesn't come through, I'm going to be disappointed. And if I'm disappointed in God, then what else does that mean? So I want to kind of hedge the bet a little. I'm going to ask, but I'm going to also be planning for what happens if God doesn't come through. That's not asking. That's not asking. I've been reading through a, a, a book on healing, an old book on healing. He's talking about going through some of the stories in the, in the, of, of people that came to Jesus for healing. And, and, and one of them is the woman with the issue of blood and, and, and the determination that she had to have. Because this is the story, of course, it's in, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Is, uh, no, it's in, in Mark chapter 5, uh, where, where Jairus comes to Jesus and who's a who's the official in the synagogue and says, "Master, my daughter's dying, lying at home, dying." And Jesus says, "I'll come." And on the way, this woman that had an issue of blood for twelve years comes up in the crowd behind him and grabs a hold of his garment. And it says that that Jesus felt power go out of him and turns around and says, "Who touched me?" And she falls down because understand this. In that culture at that time, a woman could not be out in public unescorted. A woman who had an issue of blood that was bleeding was considered unclean. She couldn't be out in public, period. And the, 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 the punishment for it was to be stoned. So this was not a casual event for her. She put everything on the line. Because she, she said in her heart, if I can just get to him and touch his garment, I'll be made whole. Now understand, it says there was such a crowd around him that when Jesus said, who touched me, his disciples were shocked. What do you mean, who touched you? Look at who you're being thronged. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd where people are thronging around you, but I've been in one where it was, I was literally afraid for my life. Because this was like a mob coming around. And it was like that. And this woman probably had to get down on her hands and knees, crawl through the mud to get a hold of him, and because she was determined. The fact that she was possibly be stoned for doing this didn't stop her. That's asking. There's another example of a woman. This was a woman who was, from, from, uh, was a Gentile. She was from Phoenicia. She was from Syria. And, and her daughter was afflicted with de- demons. And she comes up to Jesus and asks him to heal her daughter. And Jesus says, no. This is Jesus. You know, you've got all your courage up. You're going to go ask him, Lord, my daughter's grievously suffering with this. And he looks at her and says, no. But he doesn't just say no. He says, woman, I wasn't called to come. I was only called to come to the children of Israel not to dogs. Here's God's son. Your hope. Your hope is up. I've finally got... Because by the way, you know, they didn't take a plane. She had to walk to find where he was. She couldn't find it, you know, on her GPS. She couldn't, you know, look on his Facebook site and find out where Jesus was today. She had to took effort to find out where he was, effort to physically get her daughter there, carry her daughter there, get there, and now he says not only no, he calls her a dog. We're talking about strong desire. She doesn't take no from an answer from Jesus. 
She doesn't even take the insult as an answer. She says she takes his insult and turns it into an opportunity. She says, all right, if I'm a dog, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus smiled at her and he says, woman, great is your faith. You know, it's interesting. He never told his disciples their faith was great. In fact, I can't find where he had told any Jews their faith was great. The only two people he says their faith were great was a Roman soldier and the Syrophoenician woman. She would not be denied. That's the kind of desire it takes. And the question is, do we have that? Do we have that? Well, I believe we do, but I believe what holds us back is fear of being disappointed. Fear, well, what, 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 what if God doesn't answer? What if God doesn't answer? I've told you this story years ago about um, when I was growing up, I was the oldest of five boys, and we were kind of a blended family. And I had, uh, I had four stepbrothers, three stepbrothers and a half-brother, but I had a, two of them were twins, and they were four years younger than I was. And we had a summer place out in, in the uh, woods of Pennsylvania, at the end of an old glacier slide, and it was a stream that was filled with these beautiful, huge rocks laid on top of each other. And the, and the place we had was an old Civil War powder mill that had been, uh, been kind of brought up to speed. Well, this is a boy's paradise. I mean, all day long, we're running up and down these rocks, challenging each other. Now, I'm the oldest and the biggest. My ex-youngest brother, and there's twins, he, he was four years younger than I was, and, and we would have this rock jumping contest. And, and, and we would, one of us would pick the rocks to jump. And his name was Michael, and he would run at it, and he would fly at that rock. And he, he's younger than I am, smaller than I am, but he would succeed more often than I did for this reason. When Michael went to jump, his goal was to get to that rock. It never entered his mind whether he was going to fall or not, all he could see was that rock, and he would jump to get to that rock. When I jumped the rocks, my motive was to not get hurt. I'm serious. We were both, outwardly, you couldn't tell the difference. Because we're both, you know, we're lined up, all right, let's go. And we'd run, and we'd go in the air, and he'd hit it, and I'd fall short. And you couldn't tell, by looking at us outwardly, what was going on in the inside. I just thought I knew him well enough to know he, he would jump. He learned to skate that way. He learned to swim that way. Jumped in the water and then swam. I'd go like this. <laughs> Let's kind of go in this easily. You know, I was not going to get too uncomfortable. I was always cautious. And so, you know, but I don't have any broken bones and he's replaced almost every bone in his body. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So the wisdom of this, I'm not sure, I think I know the answer. But my point is this. If you're, if you're, if you're going for something with God, but you're hesitating because you're not sure, that's going to affect the result. That's not faith. And this word ask means you go for broke. It means you ask from the heart, trusting fully that God's going to answer you because you have confidence in Him. And so this is, ties into the desire. Because if, if I want to change, but I'm not sure that I'm going to like it, then that's going to inhibit your ability to change. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's going to inhibit your ability to change. All right. 
Let's go quickly. Let's look at um, Luke chapter 18. This is a story of a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And I believe he was sincere. Luke 18. I believe he was sincere. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit a good life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, I'm sure with some degree of pride, All these things I've done from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. So he's getting at the heart of his willingness to be committed. Because this man was basically saying, I want to be right in God's eyes. And Jesus is going to hone in on whether that's really true or not. He says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now it's interesting. Jesus didn't offer that invitation to follow him to many people. The twelve we know he did and they responded. But there was another man, there was the, the man that was delivered from the thousand demons that says, I want to follow you. And he says, no, 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 you stay here and you share the testimony of what's happened to you to the people in your village. There are other people that wanted to follow him and he said, no, this man, he's inviting him to follow him. And he says, the only condition is, do you really want to change? To follow me, you've got to make a radical change. Are you willing to do it? Here's what you've got to do. You've got to sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And, and look what he did. But when he heard this, verse 23, he became very sorrowful, for he was rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said how hard it is for riches, man with riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. This man walked away from Jesus because he, he, ha, he thought he had a desire to follow him, but when push came to shove, the desire, wasn't, the de- desire for his possessions was stronger than his desire to change. And sometimes the desire for where we are is... We don't, we don't like where we are, and I've seen this happen in, 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 in couples where there's abuse going on. And you'll sit and counsel the husband or the wife, and often it's the wife, but sometimes it's the husband. And you'll say, look, you just need, you're enabling your spouse. You need to stop it. I remember one situation where she said, I've got to kick him out. She's absolutely right. You've got to kick him out. He can't be in that household acting the way he is. She said, but it's cold out. What's he going to do, sleep in the car? I said, yeah, he can sleep in the car. And so she called me one, as I was leaving here one day. She says, I can't do that. I've got to let him back in. And here we're going to start the thing all over again. She didn't like what she was going through, but she wasn't really ready to change. Addiction you will not get free of unless God just does something supernatural, unless you truly are ready to change. Many times an addict wants to get out from underneath the pain of what they're going through, but they don't, they're not prepared to change yet. So a strong desire to change. Let's look at the next one. Openness. This is very important. These next two are very much related. Openness basically means teachability. 
Are you willing to look honestly at yourself? Openness. Am I willing to look to, to openly to look at myself? Let me make some comments about this. Because a lot of times we think we are. And the person that's the best at fooling you is you. And the person that's best at fooling me is me. One of these couple that I said had come to me for marriage counseling, and then I realized I'm the only one trying to make this work. Uh, these were people who had been in ministry. I basically, I had to bring them out of ministry uh, and, and say, you've got to get this right or you really are not in a position to be ministering to other people. And, and, and one of them went on like a three-week fast and deep Bible study and came back to sit down for personal counseling with me. He says, I've fasted, I've prayed, and God's shown me what I need to change in my life. And he said, isn't that interesting? That's called self-management. Because you see, there's certain things I need somebody else to tell me. Because if all I want to do is correct myself or let God correct me, but see, when I'm just letting God correct me, I control how much of that I hear. Because I hear it through what I'm willing to do and not do. The tough thing is to sit down with somebody who'll be honest with you and maybe tell you things you don't want to hear. And so openness doesn't just mean openness for me to look at the truth myself. Am I teachable? Am I, willing to, am I willing to change how I think? Or do I have ways of thinking that are so set and I'm just not willing to change? And here's the thing we've got to be careful of. As we get older, the tendency is to get more set in your thinking. And you don't have to do that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. To say, well, you just get upset. That's no. You don't have to buy into that. I've chosen not to. I can't afford to get set in my ways. I can't afford to stop being willing to change because I'm responsible for growth. I'm responsible for what God wants to do here. I'm responsible for growth in our marriage. We're growing in our marriage like we never have before because we've both decided we're not going to settle for what we've had because when you start settling for where you are, you start going backwards. If you stop growing, you start dying. If you stop being willing to change, you start dying. And you might as well, you can be just as dead in a live body as you are in a grave. It's all up here. It's a mental attitude. Openness. Openness. Willing to look honestly at our, ourselves and willing, it really comes down to what am I willing to do? Willing to let go of things in my life that God tells me I need to let go of. Psalm 51, 17. We're not going to put it up there. You don't need to turn there. It says, the sacrifices that God appreciates are a broken spirit. Broken doesn't mean broken down. It means broken open. A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Openness. Am I teachable? Am I willing to take instruction from somebody that knows more than I do? Am I willing? Sometimes God can speak to you from somebody that may know less than you, but He can speak to you through them. So I've had to learn to not just assume it's got to be somebody my age or older. I've had God speak to me through somebody. I had God speak to me through one of my children once. They didn't know what they were doing that. I was sitting on a couch. I had a big, big decision to make. And I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. I'm just struggling with the decision. And one of our sons walked through. 
He looked at me and says, Dad, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And he walked on through. And I sat there going. Now, if I recall correctly, that was a line from some commercial that was popular at the time. But he just walked through and I went, stunned. It's like, what did you just say? And I realized God spoke to me through our son that day. He didn't know he was doing that. So you've got to be teachable. You've got to be open. And here's, look at it this way. God can speak to you through anyone. And if you start saying, well, it's got to be somebody that's like me, that agrees with me, they have to have, I have to have the same politics, you're limiting who God can use to speak to you. You're limiting who God can use to speak to you. I remember when we were in Bible school, we had some big names come through. Lots, very commonly, big names come through. And then one day we had a time when there was have to... Once a week we had a special speaker for, you know, about a 15-minute exercise we did. And the guy they put up there was a missionary for the Philippines I'd never heard of. And this attitude creeped up. And, well, who's he? You know, we just had Copeland here and Fred Price was just here and all these big names were here. Who's this guy? But I caught myself and said, that's a terrible attitude. Because what you're going to do, John, is God might be able to speak to you. God used that man to speak to me more than any of the guest speakers we had all year. There was a humility about him that he had just come off the mission field and there was a humility about him that pierced through some attitudes in my heart. And I'm so glad that I didn't, I would have missed that opportunity if I had that act, held on to that attitude. So, openness, being teachable. Are we willing to be taught? The next one's very similar to this. It's truth. Am I willing to face reality? Oh, yeah, of course I am. Well, are we? This is very much related to openness. Truth. Let's go to a scripture. Let's look in um, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Very important verse about change. Very important verse about what God's able to do in our lives. Here we go. Second John, First John, chapter one. We're going to start in verse over here, verse five. This is the message which we heard from him, and declare to you that God is light. Now, right before that, what John said is, God has sent the word of life. And we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him, we've handled him. Now he's going to tell us what that word, which is Jesus, what he said. Sent from God, the word of God, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now light in the Bible can have several meanings, but the main meaning is truth. Because you stop and think about it, that if you go into a dark room, unless it's a room that you just left, or it's a room in your house where you know where everything is, but if you go into a dark room, the only way you know what reality is, is if you turn the light on. When the light comes on, you can now see what was already there. And there are things in our life, there are attitudes we have, there, there are images that we have, there may be things in our heart that are there, but we don't know they're there because we've not been willing 
to allow God to turn the light on and shine His flashlight, the Holy Spirit flashlight, into those areas of our heart and show us these things. I've just been going through a time this last week where God's just been opening my eyes to attitudes I didn't know I had. And you know, it feels good. It feels good when God does it. When you do it to yourself or the devil does it, it condemns you, it tears you down. But when God does it, it just feels so good because it's cleaning, it's bringing the light in. And when you, the light comes in, look what happens. Look at the benefit of the light coming in. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him, or we, that is we commune with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say, oh, I just love the Lord, I'm worshiping Him, and yet we're walking in darkness, I don't want to see the truth, then God says we're lying to ourselves. We think we're somewhere we're not. And the word for that is deceived, is deceived. But verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now he's going to go on and say, if we say we've not sinned, then we've lied. So he's saying there, if we're willing to walk in the light, if we're willing to let God turn the light on through this Word, because it's primarily through this Word, through His Spirit, and let the Spirit of God shine God's light, He's not going to hurt you, He wants to, he wants to set you free from the things that are bothering you, let, are you willing to let Him shine His light in thee? Am I willing to let Him do that? Because if I'm not, and then I say I'm walking with Him, I'm lying, because I can't walk with light and not have light shine in me. Because in order to walk with light and have light sh- not shine on me, I have to turn my back on the light. So, but He says, and if I'll do that, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, me from all sin. All sin. So if I'm willing to let God shine His light in there, he, oh, this is good. This was worth the price of admission tonight. See, a lot of times we don't want to face the truth because we're afraid of what that's going to mean. God's going to be angry or we're ashamed to find out we have that attitude. God wants to set you free of it. It's, 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 you're carrying it around inside. It's like a cancer eating away at you, sapping your spiritual life and your spiritual strength. God knows what's in there. God loves you. He's not going to condemn you. He wants to set you free from that attitude that's hurting you, that's blocking the blessing, that unforgiveness that's keeping you back, that's causing, giving an open door to Satan. He knows it's in there. You don't want to look at it. Somewhere down inside, you sense something's wrong, but you're not willing to look at it because we're afraid oh my goodness if that comes out what's God going to think of me he knows already what am I going to think of myself is God going to be angry but he just wants to bring it out to set you free of it this is why you got to renew your mind to how God sees you you are the righteousness of God because you're in Christ not because you have all the right attitudes not because we have all the right thinking because none of us do But because we're God's child, God's not going to be angry at you. He's not going to judge you when He opens. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God is like a surgeon. He wants to cut this out that's hurting you, but He won't cut you unless you're willing to let Him. You've got to be willing to let Him go in 
and shine this. Notice the benefits of letting God's light shine is, is that, that He's able to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you don't let Him in there, you're going to walk around carrying that around inside of you. And it's holding you in bondage. It's giving Satan a hold in your life. So if you're struggling with something, maybe it's f- forgiving somebody. Maybe it's a hurt. Bring it to Him. Lay it at the cross. Be honest with Him, saying, God, I know it's wrong. I don't want to do it, but I'm having trouble with this. I'm really hurt in this area. Be open and honest with Him. He knows anyway. He's not going to say, Oh my goodness, I've got to take you out of that position in ministry. You have that attitude in you. No, He knows. He knows. He knows. But the second thing is, we can't walk with one another in fellowship unless we're willing to walk in the light. We can't have a proper relationship in your marriage. You cannot have a proper relationship, a healthy relationship in your marriage unless you're willing to be honest with yourself, with Him, and with each other. Honesty is truth. Remember in the garden, we've talked about this so many times, when God created them, they were naked and they were not ashamed. They, weren't, they had nothing to hide. They were naked and were not ashamed. The moment they sinned, what's the first thing they did? They hid. And the next thing they did is they covered themselves. They protected themselves by covering themselves up. And, and when you cover yourself, when in, the na- in the garden when they're naked, that means they were vulnerable. There was nothing to hide. They were completely exposed to God and to each other and walked in perfect fellowship with God and with each other. When, when they sinned, their first reaction was shame, fear, and they hid themselves from God, which they couldn't do, and from each other by covering themselves up, what they thought were their weak parts, what they thought up were the parts that they were ashamed of. Truth. Walking in truth. Walking in truth. Well, I'm going to stop here because the next one I don't want to, I don't want to skimp on. I don't want to rush through. Uh, it's important. So, I'll tell you a clue what it is. You've got to do something. I'll leave you with this principle. and I got this from Ed Cole. Some of you know who he was. and He had a men's ministry that we had here for a long time. And and he was all about ministering to men and how they could change and become more Christ-likeness. His theory, his, 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 uh, his, uh, his basic theme was Christ-like looks. Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous. So being a man means you're Christ-like. So his old ministry was about change. And he had this expression. This is so simple. <laughs> it cuts through everything. Change isn't change until you change. <laughs> Wanting to change isn't change. Telling your wife you're going to change isn't change. Determining to change isn't change. Purposing to change. They're all good things, but it's not change until you change. <laughs> and so it has to begin with something. And what we'll look at next time is that's the same principle of faith. Faith doesn't, isn't really faith until you act on it. And we'll look at that principle next time. Let's pray. Father, as we're coming to the end of this time, looking at this process of change, and 
what you have ordained for us. We thank you, first of all, that you love us so much, you don't want to leave us where we are. We may want to stay where we are, but you don't want us to stay where we are. And really, Father, we don't want to. That's why we're here on a Wednesday night. Because down in our hearts, we don't want to stay where we are. We want to be what you want us to be. We want to do what you've called us to do. But Lord, sometimes it looks overwhelming. Sometimes we have mixed motives. Sometimes our flesh just seems to be too strong. Sometimes the obstacles seem to be overwhelming. And so we thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us at sea in this desire to change and in your will to change, but you give us tools, you give us principles, and you give us help to do that. And so, Father, each one of us tonight has some area in our life where we know we need to change. We may have other areas that we're not aware of until we allow you in. But, Father, I pray tonight that you would help each of us to have an attitude where we are willing to change, where we develop a strong desire to change, Father. We're willing to be teachable and walk in openness. Father, we're willing to walk in truth and to face the truth. And whatever it takes, Father, we're willing to do that. Strengthen us by your Spirit, Father. Your prayer, Lord, that we pray so often out of Ephesians is that you would strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may be able to live in us and through us, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to come to know together with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. So as amazing as it is, you say so that you may be able to fill us up with all of your fullness. Father, we thank you that you are well able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.